0: Merry Christmas everybody. That story is not the merriest of stories. I mean it kind of is and then it's really not. You know especially kind of you know you read that story. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you did not grow up in the church. But I grew up in the church reading that story. It's kind of like Jesus was born. They worshiped him. Skip, 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 skip. Jesus is healing people teaching and there's like this oh my gosh there's like this Colossal disaster happening. Herod's killing all these kids, and it's bad. And especially this year, reading the kid, my son is two, so he'd be like caught up in this. I'm like, oh, this is a little crazy. And as I kept reading through this, like the this the weight of the severity of this first Christmas kind of hit me. You know, like I think a lot of people are here or watching online, and they're having what I would say is a merry Christmas. You know, but a lot of other people. It's just like this season's like a reminder of difficulty or stress or problems. And probably having a rough Christmas is more of a common experience. And here we kind of see the first Christmas was extremely rough for everybody. Not just Mary because she gave birth, but everybody. That there was this cataclysmic event of all these children being killed in the name of some king's insecurity and his clinging to power like what a disaster what a tough Christmas and part of this story what we see here is that there's really kind of two main characters going on here one I mean the main character in the whole bible is uh, Jesus so you can write that one down but the main but in this story there's two there's these wise people the wise men who see the child and they worship him and then there's this king Herod who something in him feels really threatened by this child and he feels the need to snuff him out And what I want us to kind of wrestle through a little bit is this idea of which of those two characters are we more like? Do we feel threatened by Jesus or do we treasure him? See, authority is a complicated thing. So this morning, so I'm married. My wife's name is Taylor. We have a son who's Jay, who's two. Uh, My wife's due next month with baby number two. It's going to be a girl. And so I think everyone's excited, and everyone's going to have a good time, except for my son, who's going to, like, have to all of a sudden share stuff, right? Uh, Right now, if we tell him someone's coming over, he immediately says, you know, if we tell him his friend's coming over, he immediately starts gathering his stuff, and is like, no sharing. We have a little dog named Calvin, and he goes, we have a cousin named Nilea and we go, is coming over. He starts gathering all stuff. And he says, no, share, Nylea. Nylea, Calvin's toys. <laughs> <You know? laughs> my, my sphere, my thing, my stuff, it's, all, it's being threatened by the existence of other people. I kind of hold it in, and it's, you know, it's pretty natural and normal for a two-year-old. question is, uh, how much of that stays with us as we become adults, and is it good? Because the answer is a lot of it, and no, it's not good. Even this morning, we were being a good Arizona family because it was raining, And when it's raining in Arizona, you gotta turn on the Yule log, right? So we turn on the Yule log, uh, get it going. And the worst part of it is you go to Netflix and you have to type in fire. And then there's this terrible stupid show called Fireman Sam. I don't know if you've ever seen this show, but it's an abomination, it shouldn't exist. And my son watched two of the episodes and he's like clung to it. And it's like the whiniest, most annoying shrill kids. And they're just kind of, anyway, I hate it. Can't do it at their house. And so I type in fire to go to fireplace and Fireman Sam pops up and then Jay's like, Fireman Sam, Fireman Sam, Fireman Sam. I'm like i can't do it you know i'm not doing no we're not doing this and so then he goes to reach for the remote i grab the remote and i'm holding it I'm like daddy's doing this and he looks at me and he goes i'm doing that <laughs> like no fear in his eyes i'm doing that that's mine's <laughs> and all of a sudden my authority became a threat to him right Because he knows that me being in charge means he doesn't get what he wants, which is watch that dumb show, Fireman Sam. He wants the wrong stuff, but that's besides the point. But This idea of all of a sudden, he was like this western movie thing, you know, this town isn't big enough for the two of us. (laughs) And that's kind of what happens with Herod in this story, right? Oh, King Jesus, huh? The town's not big enough for the two of us. I got a solution for this. Or he thinks he does. So, think about yourself. Do you see Jesus as a threat? He's going to come violate your thing. You've got a status quo. You've got a way of being. You've got a philosophy, a worldview, a mode of governing your own life. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to shake it up, and you don't like that. Or maybe you view him as a treasure and you're kind of like the wise men. You're going, I don't worship him perfectly, but I really want to do it. It's a mixed bag. My guess is a lot of folks in the room, you're kind of like, I'm not of those things. I don't feel threatened by Jesus. I'm just not interested. And if that's the case, I bet you're actually probably more threatened by Jesus than you think you are. Like, if you became interested, that would mean that you have to lose something. But here's the big idea I want us to see in this text, and here's what I want us to talk about this Christmas, is that Jesus is a treasure. He's not a threat. That even when we feel threatened by his authority, his authority is actually a gift to us, so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to walk us through a little compare contrast on King Jesus versus King Herod. All right, Jesus, I pray that you help us understand your word. I pray that your Spirit would help our hearts see you as beautiful and as a treasure, not just as some force we need to submit to; otherwise, we'll get get the rough end of the stick. But God, I pray that we can actually love you and have affection for you, and then we can see that you're a different type of king. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Herod's a big deal in this story. Herod the king hears about how there's this Jesus, who is the king of the Jews. Which one is the real king? It kind of creates this conflict here. So you would think that Herod being king of the Jews, king over Judea, that he would be a good and faithful Jew, but he's actually not. Herod's actually more committed to Rome and Roman peace and the, the, the nation state than he is to the teachings of God Most High, or Israel. One of the ways we see that is here in this text. Uh, he hears about this king of the Jews being born, the Messiah has come, and so he gathers together the priests and the scribes, and he says, where is the Christ going to be born? Now, uh, King Herod should have known this if he was actually a Bible-reading Jewish person. It was pretty common knowledge um, in the book of uh, Malachi, we see this right here. He says that the the scribes quote him in Matthew 2, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers, a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd of people. So Herod should have known that Christ is coming to Bethlehem, but he's more interested in studying Roman law and preserving the economy than anything else. Here's a little bit of like FAQs or kind of facts about... Uh, uh, Herod. So Herod was born in about 70-ish. At the time of Jesus, he's probably in his late 60s or about 70. So he's kind of on the tail end of his reign and rule. And what we see is when he's about 33, he took power and he ruled from about 37 until about one or four. The scholars can't really get straight on what year he died and therefore stopped ruling. So he died when he was in power for a good chunk of time. Over the course of that reign, he did really well. He was a pretty shrewd politician. He did great for the economy. He did great for Rome. The Roman leaders loved him and approved of him. Things were up and to the right. And so um, he was really committed to what they called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome, this great season of real economic flourishing and the real kind of relative absence of war and battle within Rome. And so um, he was a good faithful Roman citizen doing his diligence to make sure that Judah was kind of submitting to the Roman government, kind of be like making sure Arizona does what the U.S. wants. He was a good governor king over the Jewish people. So his public success, he's probably like in the name of like economics and politics, was generally well regarded, but in his personal life he was a pretty big disaster. He was deeply, deeply insecure. One of the things he did with his wife is he set up this prenup where if he got killed in battle, that she would be put to death because his thought of her um, falling in love with someone after he died was so painful. He's like, I'd rather just have peace of mind that we're all going to die at the same time. She, not a fan of that, uh, resisted it, so he just went ahead and executed her ahead of time in the year 29. This is one of many family members that he put to death in order to maintain his power and his grip on power and the status quo. This is the idea of like a peace-purchased pr- a with squashing out people, that kind of the way that Herod was being a king was the typical way that kings behaved. You know, Crush dissidents. You maintain this kind of fake peace, economic flourishing by just getting rid of all the people who get in your way. You know, get on the bus or get run over by the bus. Herod was a typical king, and then ultimately he ends up dying. Is what ends up going on, and that's kind of the part of this that really kind of kept coming back to me. On this is that Herod dies. This Herod stuff—it doesn't last forever. But yet, while he had it, he clung to it like it was the most important, the only thing he could do. So we see a window into Herod's heart, not just his actions. One of the things we get tempted to do as humans is to see people's actions and then believe we know their hearts, which is not always true and rarely is the case true. But here we get a window into Herod's heart. We see his emotions. We see these twice. Now, emotions don't tell us the truth about reality, but emotions do tell us the truth about how we are experiencing and interpreting reality. Right? So I can't necessarily say, I feel this way, therefore it is this way, but I can't say, I feel this way, and this is how I'm making sense of the world around me. So our emotions always tell us the truth about us and how we're interpreting what's going on. And so we see a window into two of Herod's emotions here. First in Matthew 2, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, king of Judah, that he heard that the Messiah was here, he was troubled. That means stirred up, shaken. The modern word for this is triggered. You set off. You know, when your blood pressure goes up and like that fight-flight response kicks in and you have to reapply deodorant or stink the rest of the day. He hears this and he's troubled. And now you think if this guy was a good Jew who was waiting the coming Messiah, they would have heard that the Messiah is coming, that he would have been elated, excited, finally. But instead he feels threatened. He's troubled by it. This is going to threaten the peace of Rome. This is going to threaten the up and to the right. This is going to threaten the sphere of power that I have. This is going to threaten my kingship. And what happens here is not only is he troubled, but all of Jerusalem is troubled along with him. This is the way that tribes work, is my leader is me. And if you attack my leader, you attack me. So Jerusalem has also kind of been lulled into this positive Rome situation where they're no longer eagerly awaiting the coming king who's going to set them free from their sin, but they're just kind of hoping for status quo, economic process to keep doing its thing. Don't rock the boat. So they hear there's another king, and Jerusalem's tempted and troubled along with them. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I really like In-N-Out, and I heard somebody the other say they don't like In-N-Out, and I felt like personally attacked by that. <laughs> Herod's the king. There's another king. Well, I feel personally attacked by that. All swept up in it. He's a threatened. Then not only that, we see his uh, emotional state again in verse 16. When Herod gets kind of shrewded out by those wise men. In verse 16, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. That could be translated blinded with rage. He's unable to think. He's just reacting, acting from his gut. This is one of the things that I want us to see in this text is that when you feel threatened by Jesus and you feel this need to protect yourself from Jesus, and you feel this need to keep him away from you or even do whatever you can to make him maybe not dead but dead to you, you end up doing foolish, dumb, stupid, evil things. When the authority of God, you think of it as a threat, you end up in a bad spot. And so Herod does something crazy. He sent and kills all the male children in the region, two years old and under. Massacre. Weeping, crying, gnashing. Devastated. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of grandparents and mothers and brothers and sisters and cousins and neighbors. All in the name of Herod holding on to power with every last grip he has that he's fighting and fighting and fighting to have sovereignty apart from Jesus. He's fighting and fighting fighting to stay the king of his own life. He's fighting and fighting and fighting to make sure he holds on to the reins for as long as possible. And so here's this question. Is what got Herod to be that way? And what got these wise men to be that way? Right. How come some people see Jesus and feel threatened, and some people see Jesus and worship? There's something in them, right? It's the same Jesus, different reactions. You see the wise men, they come, they see him, they fall down, they worship, they open in their treasures and they give great things away. And here's I think the main question is about whether you feel threatened by Jesus, or whether you treasure him, is this, the answer to this question, is what type of king is Jesus? What type of leader is Jesus? What type of king is he? Because if he's a king like Herod, if he's a king like other kings, if he's a leader like other leaders, then it's a good idea to protect yourself from him. Because those kings and those leaders serve their own interests. And those kings and those leaders do everything they can to maintain their own power, their own control, their own authority. Those kings, those leaders are not preoccupied with the lowest and the least and the lost and the marginalized. They're preoccupied with maintaining and controlling and doing their thing. They're willing to use people to get what they want, not willing to give up what they want in order to help other people flourish. And a lot of us in this room, I bet, have never really experienced really loving, good authority. Bad churches, bad church leaders, bad fathers, bad mothers, untrustworthy, uncles harming us, uh, bosses uh, manipulating us political leaders twisting and spinning things, that it's so easy to project our bad experiences of leaders and kings onto Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. But what makes the wise people wise, the wise men wise, is they're open to this possibility of maybe there's this other king who's different than other kings. And part of the reason I think they're able to go there is because they recognize with sobriety the short livedness of all this other stuff. That they've been students of the scriptures. They were able to help Herod understand why he was being born in Bethlehem. That they know and can go back and recognize that, look, Herod right now seems like the man who's on the right side of history. Herod right now seems like the king of kings, lord of lords. Herod right now seems like the one who I should try to please him so my life can go well. But guess what? They know Herod's not here for long. Herod's days are numbered, that if I spend my life trying to appease the person who's presently in power, I'm going to end up getting the short end, because guess what? That person in power is short-lived. That every nation, every state, every institution, every leader, Redemption Gateway, the United States, Arizona, Goldman Sachs, Pfizer, all of them, going away. And if you spend your life preoccupied with pleasing the leaders of institutions that humans have created, we've got to recognize that you're gonna spin your wheels and spin your wheels, spin your wheels, trying to please people that will go away. That's not to say that all those places and things aren't valuable in their own right, but they are not God. They are not the king of kings. They may have been delegated some authority in our lives, but we cannot submit our whole selves to them. We can only submit our whole selves to Christ. This is what the prophet Isaiah writes here in the chapter 40. He says, behold, the nations are like a drop From a bucket and are counted as dust on a scale. Behold, he takes up the beaches like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And Herod is willing to kill little children for nothing and emptiness. Jesus is the king who does not kill to maintain some type of fake peace, but he's the king who's willing to be killed in order to purchase true and eternal peace. And when you see him as that type of king, the servant king, the loving king, the kind king, you will happily give him the keys to your life. That if you're submitting to Jesus out of some sense of he, I better or else, that's just not Sustainable. And so you see him as a treasure and as beautiful, and you're going, you know better than me. The other week, I was, turned my back for two seconds and look over and Jay had the remote to the TV. And he sees that I see him and he goes, I do that. <laughs> and you know, and I'm going, you know, parenting tension. You don't want to, you know. I was like, okay. I went and sat next to him, and I was like, go for it. And he just hit buttons, did nothing, turned it on, turned it off, couldn't find what he wanted, and eventually, at some point, he got frustrated and <laughs> went and said, "Daddy, do it." <laughs> and it was like one of those like uh, better than usual parenting moments because usually he would accidentally find something dumb watching it and he'd be content, but this time he actually failed and it was perfect because I got to say, ah, I see you want me to be in charge. Now here we go. And he's like, thank you, Daddy. So happy to see you. And so it was, he had to like, please me. But I think for a lot of us, until we really experience, like we hit the end of our rope and we're stuck in park or in neutral or in reverse and we come to our, the end of our own wisdom, the end of our own ability, we want to stay in the driver's seat. We're going to hold on to the keys but when we figure out that leading our own life is not all it's cracked up to be, that being our own sovereign is not all it's cracked up to be, that outsourcing kingship level authority to all these broken human institutions and people is not all it's cracked up to be, and I go, I must give the reins to Jesus, the king of kings, or I'm wasting my life. And that's my hope for us as a church. Those of you who are guests, those of you who have been here a long time, is that we wouldn't just submit to Jesus because we better because he threatening, he's threatening us. But we willingly, lovingly give ourselves to him because we treasure him. His perspective, his kindness, his care. That he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So do you treasure him? Do you see him as beautiful? That's my prayer for us today. Let me pray. Jesus, I do ask that we here as a church guests and members alike that we would see you as compelling as beautiful as true that we wouldn't let the wounds of previous leaders or the wounds of previous institutions uh, cause us to not trust you or to treasure you but I ask that we could be a people captivated by this different kind of king this servant king who becomes vulnerable on the margins considering the unconsidered loving the unloved serving the unserved And that if you're that type of king, then we want to follow you. God, help us from our hearts, by your spirit, see that you're the king worth following. It's in your name we pray. Amen.